Hey there, welcome to Horror Dads, more specifically episode 59. Today we're going to talk about horror couples in horror movies. John, my significant other, what's up buddy? What's up dude? Yeah, this is a this is a good topic because it's uh, we're winding up February, right? Yeah, so, we're, we might be a little bit late on this one. We probably should have done our favorite uh, leprechauns, but we're doing uh, couples. We're going to wrap up February with a little love. So we're each going to pick 10. We're going to do our top 10 couples, basically, horror couples. Um, so we're each doing 10 or 5? Top 10, 5 each. Yeah, I was going to say, wait, I took, I took notes for 5. Uh, top 50, so <laughs> I prepared 40. <laughs> no, we're going to do top 10, so each of us prepared 5, and we'll just volley back and forth on this really fun, exciting topic. I had a lot of fun doing this. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, most movies... Uh, involve some sort of couple or duo or team. Um, and this one, this topic kind of glorifies and highlights uh, those couples. What's fun? So I thought I was going to be just wading through the pile. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was like, this is going to be 40 feet high. I, yeah. I'm going to have to whittle this down. You didn't? I, so I did simply because I didn't want to over talk about certain movies. Yeah. But I, I was looking at this and I was like, no, nah, you know what? Like my list kind of came pretty organically and it, I didn't have a ton. I maybe had 12 that I took down to five. But yeah. I, I thought I was going to have 50, you know? Yeah. But I thought this topic was fun. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple I'm going to mention, uh, honorably that yeah. could have made the list, but yeah. I've got a bunch of honorable mentions too, yeah. cause we don't want to over, over discuss certain sure. films. So, yep. Uh, before we do that, though, we're going to catch up. Uh, if you're new to the show, we're just two brothers that like to talk about horror films. So welcome. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, if you're returning, thank you for coming back. But love you. We love you. Either way. Yeah, we love you either way because love is in the air and we are now a couple. Mm-hmm. But we're going to talk uh, through these films, but uh, we're going to do our intro stuff first. So we're just going to catch up uh, prior to getting to the actual movies. Yep. So, Jamie, what have you been watching, man? All right. So I've been watching uh, that documentary series on shutter it's called behind the monsters and each episode is a different uh horror icon and they kind of uh, dissect the origin of the mask or uh character itself and then you get expert analysis on each movie and each uh horror icon and kind of what that uh monster represents to those people uh not too much different from pretty much any other horror doc that we watch. Uh, you know, you got the podcasters and the filmmakers yeah. uh, discussing the different movies. and It's our greatest ambition to be consulted for one yes, of those projects. Yes, it is, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, great. Uh, it, you know, the thing is, is, you get to a point, especially when you do what we do and you watch, you consume pretty like, much What do I not know? What can you tell yeah. me that I don't know? Yeah. Uh, I've, I've found these to be really insightful. That's and, awesome. Um, I recommend everybody, even if you think you know everything there is to know about Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees, like I still recommend a watch. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I stumbled into your place today and I saw episode six was on and it was Pinhead, right? Yeah, ironically, it was your most favorite horror movie, yeah. horror franchise, yeah. Jamie's being facetious. So that one had just started. Uh, I'm excited to dig into that one. I did the thing where I walked in. I was like, oh, cool. Um, yeah. yeah, this is on. You have anything else we can watch? <laughs> right. Yeah, but I'm super pumped to check that out. Did you? What? Okay, so you saw the new Texas Chainsaw. I we did. haven't talked about yeah. this yet. What do you think? No, we haven't. Um, 
No, that's a big thumbs down for me. Big thumbs down. Yeah. Yeah. You like you have a, a different relationship with the franchise than I do. I do. My, it, I've seen other people say this, and I'll echo the sentiment that if it wasn't a Texas Chainsaw movie, um, I would have liked it more. Yeah. That doesn't take away from what I didn't like about the main characters, which yeah. was really nothing. Uh, but the <clears throat> the whole style and vibe of it threw me off too. You know, but <clears throat> yeah. it is what it is. It was a it was a well made movie. I'll say that. So here, I I also watched it. I'm not a huge fan of the franchise, as I've mentioned several times, but I watched the original in preparation for this one since it was supposed to be a true sequel. And I just... Which you still hate. I just, like, I don't have any relatability to any of the characters in the original. And I'm not... You know, you're rooting for Sally by the end, of course. Because you want her to get out and you want her to get away, but that friend group kind of makes you feel nothing. And that's... You know, the reason we like things like Harry Potter or the reason we like things like I know what you did last summer or Scream, it's the relate or Monster Squad. Like you love the relatability of the characters. Yeah, yeah. That's what makes you that's what brings you there. And I just didn't feel that. I I guess if I if you had to ask me, do you feel more relation to the characters from the original or this new one? I would have to say the new one, though. Similarly, I, I, I didn't have any person. I was like, oh, that's my kindred spirit right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it just like, it was fine to me. I thought it was just totally fine. Middle of the road. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be. It didn't excite me. It didn't really upset me. And I, I honestly have not thought about it once since I watched it. Yeah. Um, I haven't really either. Yeah. So I watched the first, the night it came out, we went to, uh, the bar to see somebody that we're going to talk about here in a second. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Came back pretty late, a little bit drunk, uh, threw this on, watched like the first 30 minutes before I tuned out. Yeah. Um, so restarted it the next day, watched that whole beginning again. And uh, I think that actually made me like it less uh, <laughs> once I actually started kind of analyzing, you know. So, uh, yeah, no, it's just, uh, again, we're go- we'll always say this. Uh, keep pumping the horror out. Keep bringing us new movies. Uh, I'll take them. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, yeah, no, if you're going to. Ask me my rating, it's thumbs down. Two other quick things I want to mention. I think both you and I watched. Um, we checked out that film, Werewolves Within, which was mm. Siskel and Ebert, two thumbs up all the fucking way. Dude, all the way thumbs up. If you like horror comedy, which I think probably most people do, all so the good. way. Yeah, jump in there. So we really enjoyed that. And then that's streaming for free now on what? I can't remember. I knew, knew you were going to ask me that. I can't Because I, I watch it as well. It's, it's on Prime or. Something, yeah. Yeah, stars maybe. I also checked out Antlers, which is on HBO. Yes. And so did you. Uh, this was a recommendation from our buddy Casey, patron. So, so thank you, Casey, for recommending. What did you think of that? I, totally, 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 totally different, even though it was adjacent subject matter to to Werewolves Within. This was much, much more serious and uh, stoic. But uh, I watched those on the same day. So, so it's not, fun. yeah, I, I think I, that's... Same couple days. I think that's why we mentioned the, the tonal the tonality difference is because we watched them so like close together. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's hard to compare the two, but they, they both now live in the same realm since we watched them yeah, in the same day or whatever. But man, I, you know, it felt like an episode of X-Files to me and a monster of the week. Uh, it was, it was pretty dark and, you know, I use the term stoic. I think that's pretty accurate. So I, I, I certainly enjoyed it. There's no comedy in that movie. No, 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 no. It's, and there it's, shouldn't be. No, 
It's very mythological, yeah. like m- mythology heavy. It's it's well acted though, and the 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 kill scenes are are super grisly. So yeah, I I, yeah. I dug it, and I would yeah. recommend it. So yeah, I mean, when a movie starts um, with a boy wandering around waiting for his dad and his buddy to get done cooking crystal meth, yeah. you know you're in for a serious. Have you been buying anything? I don't know that I have. I got a couple Valentine's Day treats for my wife, uh, oh, yeah. including this hoodie that I'm wearing right now. Let's see what you got on over there. Yeah, not to jump to our next segment, but... That's a handsome looking thing. Yeah, so it's... My wife got this from Etsy, so it's a black hoodie. I've been wanting just a pullover hoodie. Like, you know, I have. Like, all my hoodies are zip hoodies because I love... Who doesn't love a good zip hoodie? Uh, but, like, when you're feeling a little bit, like, down or cold... I want to be in on myself. Having like the fucking full hoodie on yeah. where you know you're in there, yeah, it feels fucking great. So, anyways, I got one of these. I've been wanting one, uh, and it's got like a what do you say, eighties, early nineties? That that's the club from Scarface. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Miami, nineteen eighty six. Yeah, uh, but it's got like you know the triangles with the fluorescent colors, and it's got Ghostface, just like his mask is all fucking yeah eighties out. It's great. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually, we were doing a Zoom, you, me, and a bunch of friends that we always do on Thursday nights, and I popped in a little bit late, and you were like, Jamie, what are you wearing, and how did I not know about this, yeah. and why am I not in it with you? Yeah, why didn't you tell me yeah. about this? <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm loving it. And uh, also, my wife got me this killer, um, it's like a ghost face shadow box that she got from Etsy. I'm going to post about this, and then I'll post the artist, because um, he sent a little card like with his you know Instagram handle and shit. I can't remember it offhand, but yeah, no, it's like, it's black light. Uh, it's for black light. Yeah. So I have it in my office. It looks amazing. Awesome. And I uh, can't wait for you guys to see it. Yeah. So on the scream theme, I suppose there's been quite a bit of contribution to that space with the new movie coming out, but, uh, our buddy Matt Pepler, he released a new scream print and I picked that up. It's super oh, rad. Yeah. It's black, red, white, uh, very elongated face and silhouette running through some shadows. It's it's really rad. So I, I'm very excited about that. So I picked that up. I also picked up a uh, poster. I also picked up a poster from our buddy, Gary Pullen, who we just interviewed, Ghoulish Gary. So I picked up a Prowler poster from him. So as soon as I have that in hand, I will be posting about that. <clears throat> but I love the Prowler. I'm looking at a Prowler poster I have down here in our podcasting space from our friend uh, Chris Garofalo. And I can't wait to have another one to companion next to it. In the uh, the Ghoulish Gary site, like if you guys haven't been to it yet. Oh, yeah, good luck. Plan on buying something when you go. Uh, he, is, he has this uh, Night of the Comet poster that <laughs> yeah. is, it's mine. Yeah. It doesn't know it yet. Also, plan on on having the hardest. It's you equip, cannot. Yeah. You cannot decide. It's the closest thing to going to the horror section and, the, and blockbuster. Yeah, it really it, is. And your parents telling you you can pick no, one. You get one. Yeah, but you Fuck. you are your own parent. Do I do? Yeah. Well, at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you touched on what you're wearing. Real quick, awesome I thing. wanted to highlight some things coming out uh, that I'm interested in, oh, which is uh, the Cabin in the Woods 4K release coming out April 19th. Who designed that, John? Our good friend, Maddie Tobin, uh, did the artwork on that. It's, it's amazing. Oh my God, it it's amazing. so good, yeah. Um, I cannot wait. I'm so fucking pumped that he did that. Like, it, it's funny now because when we have guests on our show, um, I think of them like as our kids, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess coming from the horror dad's angle, it's like whenever I see them succeeding or doing well or doing something that's exciting, I'm like, 
patting them on the back. Like, hey, great fucking job, Matt. And, and, he's the, like, and they're looking okay, at us guy. like, uh, hey, if you wouldn't mind get, taking five <laughs> steps away. Uh, exactly. I am not your child. Yeah. And we are not friends. No, but I, dude, I totally understand. I get this immense form of pride. I, I And I find myself just smi- like smiling, smiling like a yeah. goddamn idiot. My yeah. wife will be like, what's what's funny? No, uh, Emily Bennett's movie just came out and it's yeah. doing really well. She's so, like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm proud. A, I'm with you on that sentiment. Um, and then uh, to piggyback off of our <clears throat> Universal Monster conversation last episode, um, NECA has uh, oh, a whole series of Universal Monsters coming out, like seven-inch uh, figures. And the first one's going to be the mummy. It's got its coffin with it. Looks really fucking great, so... Uh, if the toys are your thing, then that looks amazing. Yeah. Very cool. So I'm wearing a t-shirt from our, just let me do Ooh, this nice, nice zip. unzip. These actually match your daughter's pajamas that were on earlier. I know, man. So I have on my David Slobodnik Krampus tee. It's been super cold, super snowy here in Ohio. So we've been getting hit with it. So I have a David Slobodnik is a good friend of ours. He lives locally here. Great artist. You can find him also on Etsy, but he does he on our show. Stuff. He's been on our show. Yep. He does all our tattoos. So that's what I have on my David Slobodnik Krampus tee. Awesome. Under my hoodie, I have on the uh, Careful Gaze t-shirt that our buddy Gabe Reasoner oh, sent one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Those are awesome. Love that one. They're in the studio right now. Oh, dude. Can't wait. Uh, I was actually burning through a lot of music today because I was cleaning the house pretty intensely. Uh, so I just had like music going, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, I popped on a little careful gaze and I was actually thinking, um, I can't wait for new music. So that's awesome. And your, your forearms are sore from yeah. all the swiffering right. you're doing. Yeah. Just doing it with yep. enthusiasm. Actually, when you came over, I think I was mid swift. <laughs> so let's touch on some family stuff yeah. and then get into our app. So cool. yeah. What do you been, have going on? I, I have a. <clears throat> Very so, I had a family antic I want wanted to share prior in preparation for this episode, and then the day happened as it happened. So something more pressing occurred. I wanted to share, which occurred at your house earlier today. Okay. So I was over there with my girls and my youngest, who's four. We, me, and you, Jamie, and my sister, your wife, were all playing a horror board game. Kids were running around playing. We had Big Trouble in Little China on. Everyone seemed to be getting bored with that and complaining. Not you and I, of course. So we switched to The Bride of Frankenstein. So my four-year-old wanders in the room. Bride of Frankenstein's on. Just <laughs> she and I in there. In the scene where Frankenstein's monster gets kind of like bound and they're going to... It basically appears that he's going to get impaled with pitchforks and roasted. Uh, she was cheering with unbelievable enthusiasm, like "Yay, yeah, get him, yeah!" And I was like, "No, look, hey, what, what's going on?" And she was like, "He's bad." And I said, "No, no, he's just misunderstood." And she was like, "No, get him, get him!" And I was like, "Oh <laughs> fuck!" So we turned that off promptly, and uh, and and kind of had to navigate away from it. But yeah, I thought that was interesting and worth sharing. Yeah, it's the kind of stuff that happens. Yeah. You don't know how the kids are going to react. Ugh. Burn him at the stake. Yeah, seriously, I was I was quite alarmed <laughs> on how that specific kid reacted For to that sure. specific scene. So uh, I took my kids to the last week. We had this arcade uh, nearby that I took them to. It's like a, it's pretty uh, like classic arcade style. Um, it's not something that you see like nowadays. It's like 
any arcade has like big screen TVs and yeah. chicken wings. This is one where you go in and it's like, there's a woman smoking a cigarette. You know, like, how many coins you want? Uh, give me like $5. And also, what's nice about this place is like, they give you actual $10. Well, $10, they do, but $10 stretches. You can play for an hour or two with 10 bucks, you know? You yeah. go to like the movie theater arcade now. Yeah. You have to get a card. And then each game is like a buck 15. And you're like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah. So uh, we were playing. Um, they had this Walking Dead game, which was fucking amazing. It's one of those that you sit in. Yeah. And like they even have like lights inside and shit. So like when you are inside, there's no light on in the booth. And then when you go outside, like the light comes on because you're outside now. It's fucking yeah. really state of the art and amazing. Uh, but both the kids were sitting in there just playing it. Um, I went through like $5 and change really quick playing that game. Because uh, it's like 50 cents a pop and they both suck. You know what I mean? Uh, but they had a ton of fun. Like they just were laughing and yeah. yelling and screaming. And we played. Do you remember the classic game House of the Devil 2 or whatever it was? And House of the Dead. House yeah. of the Dead. Exactly. Yeah. And I wish there was a House of the Devil. So what's funny game. is <clears throat> when I went to Chicago for Days of the, of the Dead in November, mm-hmm. me and Matt Pepler and uh, his buddy, Andrew Heath, we all went to this. It wasn't 24 hour arcade, but it's coined as the. Largest arcade in the United States. And they have awesome. like, dude, they had thousands and thousands of arcade games in there. Yeah. And you basically pay like 20 bucks and it's all you can play. So I honestly walked in and I had like two shotguns, just House of the Dead <laughs> yeah. alone, just smiling like an idiot. And it's not like you just, you only go there. They don't have alcohol. Like you go there to play games. Yeah, exactly. It's not yeah. a barcade. It is, hey, I'm going to fucking nerd deep. And hard. Yeah, I'm here to be a nerd. Yeah. We beat turtles in time, but yes. Love so, it. Yeah. House of the Dead. All in. Yeah. And uh, one last thing about the fam is my youngest, Riker, the four-year-old. Yeah. Is he a killer or? <laughs> oh, when, when I was on the phone with you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so my son, he watches, um, he, so he's got an older brother who's eight. So he, you know, watches all this like they watch these videos of uh, Among Us. And if you're not familiar with yeah. Among Us, it's essentially like weird. there's one killer in this group of weird like things. It's the thing. It's, it's the it plot is. of the you thing. Don't, you don't know who it is. Yeah. Uh, he's a normal looking guy. One of you is a fucking killer. Um, but anyway, so they are, he's always just acting like he's in Among Us. So I was on the phone with John earlier and he comes up to me and he says, you're dead. And I and, just hear uh, this, and I was like, are you, are you all right, Jamie? Yeah. Jamie? So, yeah, no, it's, uh, you never know when you're going to get killed in my house. Ooh. Uh, all right. <laughs> so, a couple quick shout-outs before, yeah. before we proceed into the episode. We do have a Patreon, so please uh, consider joining yeah. our Patreon. We've got a $5 tier and a $10 tier. Uh, for we f- do special episodes. We do uh, box opening videos, uh, mail day videos, um, interviews with our kids sometimes. And uh, we also do movie watch throughs. And we just did one last night with our good buddy, Zach. Yeah, we watched through Leprechaun 2. Leprechaun 2. And we also do read throughs of short stories and a lot of them being contributed from patrons who are also artists. So we're going to be doing one for our buddy, Cami Mosley here shortly. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for that one. Yeah. So... Good stuff. So please consider. We also have uh, merchandise available on our web store at horrordads.com. You can jump on there, get yourself a Horror Dads t shirt. I think, I could be wrong. I think they're going to start letting us do sales through Instagram. 
I set that right? up today for yeah, us. Perfect. Yes. So it's in the approval process. So yeah, I saw it. It's like you have to yeah. get approved. Yeah. Yep. Also, if you do enjoy the show, please consider giving us a five-star review either on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on any of the platforms that you listen. There's typically a forum to be able to do so. It helps us get recognized. And you can follow us on social media. Instagram's our primary, but we're on all platforms backslash horror dads. Final thing is we do have a little plug for a recently distributed piece of media here. So please consider visiting stephenkingaudio.com to learn more about Stephen King and Richard Chismar's electrifying new audiobook, Gwendy's Final Task, where you return to Castle Rock in this final installment of the New York Times bestselling Gwendy's Button Box Trilogy. So download Gwendy's Final Task wherever audiobooks are sold or visit stephenkingaudio.com to learn more. That sounds great. Get it in my ears. Oh, also, one last thing. I do have one last thing. Uh, speaking of Matt Pepler. Yes. I have a little bone to pick with Matt and Brian, his counterpart, on, their, on their podcast, Post, Post Credits, Credits, which yeah. is a great podcast. If you guys uh, haven't checked it out yet, you should. They just did an episode on uh, a movie that I love called American Ninja. And they both, I've never heard two people pick apart a movie quite this way. <laughs> And one of them actually said at the beginning of it, <clears throat> at the beginning of the episode, I, I don't know if it was Matt or Brian, one of them said, I have no other way to put this, but if you like this movie, you just must be a dork. So you're a dork. Dude, <laughs> not only am I a dork, but I remember I was watching this a few years ago and, um, you know, it was streaming on something. So I had it on and my son came in and he was probably five at the time. And he was like, what is this movie? Loved it instantly. My wife was like, wait, why is our son <laughs> oh, watching dude, this like, weird 80s ninja movie? And I was like, I don't know. He loves it. And she was like, there's like a serious love sequence and stuff. Too. Dude, it was really like, it made no sense why he was into it. Um, but instantly, like my oh, wife had to man. buy him like a ninja costume that next week. Yeah. And he was running around the house dressed like a ninja. Still to this day, if I put that movie on, I think you were over a few weeks ago and I put it on and he was like, yeah, I love this movie. Um, so my son and I are both huge dorks, apparently. So Matt and Brian, great podcast, shitty opinion on American Ninja. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Love you both. With that being said, let's carry the love into our topic and we're going to get into it. All right, man, let's get into it. I'm excited for this. Do you want to hold? Should we hold hands while we do this or? We we already are. Okay. So. How do you want to do this? You want to go first? You want me to go first? How do you want? Yeah, I'll go first. Yeah. Why don't you go first, man? All right. So, so my first number, couple. Yeah. Number five is going to be, we're going to start out with a movie from 1978. Uh, the couple is Matthew Bennell and Elizabeth Driscoll from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So played by Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams. You're familiar with this couple, right, Dude, John? This is such a great pick. 
Oh, I have a lot to say about this, but go ahead. Go ahead. So what's great about this is like this isn't an actual couple yet when we start this movie. There mm-hmm. you can tell there's a uh, underlying attraction on both sides. Yeah. Um you gotta work for it. He's incredibly I don't know the word. Handsome, I guess I guess. I mean he's disheveled mostly. <laughs> he has that I would assume seventies attractiveness to a person who's confident, poised, funny. Looks a little bit like a Muppet. <laughs> kind of a prick. <laughs> yeah. Very dedicated to his job. A little Rats too dedicated. Turd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. Like his, actually, could you imagine owning a restaurant that he like. Inspected? Yeah. yeah if, if you're on his route or whatever, however the fuck that works. For, for those that have not seen this, he works for the health department. In the open, opening sequence, he comes in basically to this very like posh, fancy, fresh a French restaurant. And he's doing his health inspection and he makes some very, very pronounced, uh, um, you know, assessments on what he's finding, basically saying there's rat shit in the soup. So also you can only assume that he had a really bad day before he went to this restaurant because he went in on a goddamn mission. He went in on terror or somebody call, like there was an anonymous tip that a rat turd was in the soup. He went in there looking for a fucking rat turd. And or he found someone it. there was a prick. Yeah. Um, but Elizabeth Driscoll, who is a doctor of some sort? I think so, yeah. Her husband loves basketball. So she works, yeah, yeah, with the Warriors, I think, right? That's <laughs> yeah. what he's listening to all the time. He's got, he just has like those headphones on the, the ridiculously sized headphones, and he's insane. screaming. Yeah. But I think she, Th- that's me when I'm like wearing my headphones. <laughs> you swiffering today, yeah. listening to Careful Gaze. What was that, honey? <laughs> I think she works in a laboratory sense. So maybe mm-hmm. not a doctor, but scientist or some yeah, sort of yeah. separating plasma from blood or whatever. Right. But she's but, great. Like her personality's great. Yeah. Um, their banter, their relationship, their working relationship is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when shit starts to go down, they, you know, they're relying on one another. Uh, they're, they're bouncing ideas off one another. They're both trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. No one really knows. Yep. You have Jeff Goldblum in there somehow taking a mud bath. Uh, you have to navigate that whole shit, that dirty ass. Uh, and his love interest to giving that massage to that, that big. That oh, big that guy. guy yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oof. He owns that. Him and his wife own that thing, right? I think so. Yeah. Which is just a bizarre. That there. The seventies was a weird, weird fucking time. The closest thing I can think of is that that scene in Club Dread where. Uh at the very end. The final. Yeah. yeah. Which, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so by the end, they do uh, kind of declare their love for each other after her her husband is long gone. Uh, they're just kind of left hoping and praying that they can survive the night at that point, that they yeah. don't fall asleep. Um, she declares her love to him, vice versa. And so, yeah, it's a nice little ending to what's pretty tragic otherwise. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that they're... I think we're going to see a theme with all of our picks of, hey, it's something you got to work toward and you see it manifest over the course of time and it's not rooted in like, oh, you're attractive. Oh, yeah, you're attractive. Let's be together because of that fact. They definitely, you can feel there's a palpable like sense of connectivity between these two characters. They're both super intelligent and you can feel the disconnect between uh, her and her 
basketball watching husband even yep. prior to him converting to one of the body snatched right yes the, but to your point with the headphones they use that as a device to kind of show the disconnect yeah i yeah. think it's well done there's a physical demonstration of the disconnect yep exactly and then the next morning you wake up and it's robo robo john fucking standing there <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? veggie david yeah i love this movie though man oh my god do i love it we won't do a spoiler uh, of the end, but the uh, the original version of this from the 50s I also love. And there's a cameo from the dude that plays the yes. main character from the 50s version in this one. Yep. And as Jamie said, you know, sexy Donald Sutherland does a great job in this movie. Yeah, Donald's name in this one is Matthew. And um, the I can't remember his name, but in the original, his name is Miles. Miles, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So many baggy suits in that original one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah, this is a great one. I'm with you on this. Great pick. Very good pick. All right, you want me to head to my first? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so I'm going I'm going deep into the cartoon universe, okay? So this is pretty atypical for us, but I have to go with Fred Jones and Daphne Blake from Scooby-Doo, specifically the film. Power Couple. Exactly. Power couple. Yep. Specifically in the film Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Coming fall 1998. Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. It's Scooby-Doo's first feature-length movie. Available only on video from Warner Brothers Family Entertainment. So Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island came out in 1998. Directed by Jim Stenstrom. And this was... All about the mystery gang basically reuniting after they separated. And they visit this place called Moonscar Island, which is a very, very remote island with a dark secret. And Daphne pretty much wants to capture a villain that's not in a costume. They want to do the real thing, right? So they get more than they bargain for, per se, in this film. So this is essentially the the <laughs> the, the premise of... So many ghost hunting stories, which is I want to I want to debunk what I continue to bunk, which is finding out that this is all bullshit. Right. And and the whole lineage of Scooby-Doo is you catch the creature and the creature has a mask on. So this this specific storyline basically undoes that concept. And they try to pretty much root it in saying, hey, there's an actual sense of real, real evil that's occurring. So I love the fact that the gang is kind of broken up and they're reuniting. This came out in 98. So I was, I was like 10, 10 and a half, 11 when this came out. And I remember the day it came out on video, I was sick home from school. My mom took me to our local video store when I was living in Illinois. And we went to Wendy's or whatever fast food chain had the action figures at that time. Yep. So she rented me the movie. She bought me the comic book and I got whatever toy from whatever. Yep. You know, yeah. The Burger King meal or whatever the fuck. I actually think it was Burger King. So either way. And I remember her pulling up saying like, we don't eat here normally, but because (laughs) you're not feeling well. And (laughs) so it was certainly a special occasion. I just so fondly remember the experience of of consuming this for the first time. And it was, rude and and not feeling well of course but just a fucking great day with my mom right so i love the fact that again the the gang is fractured 
but the two that have remained together, and there's always this fucking sexual tension, not sexual tension, but romantic <laughs> tension, I guess I I'll say. say. Goddamn. Romantic tension between Fred and Daphne throughout every iteration of this show, right? Like, it's a it's an unspoken that they're quote-unquote together. Yeah, that palpable sexual tension. <laughs> <laughs> Making me sound like a creep. <laughs> anyway, so there's that tension that exists between their relationship. So they kind of verify mm-hmm. that they've remained together by the fact that the whole gang broke up, but they're still to, that the, the entities that are still together are Scooby and Shaggy and Fred and Daphne. Yeah. Right? Yep. So Fred coordinates getting the gang back together for another hurrah and they, they bring it all together. So this again, relationship was so important to me growing up because it kind of defined in my mind I was like yeah people like you can hang out and have friends that you um want to like be more than just friends with this was the first thing I I think in my memory that that defined that for me and I I you know I always kind of carried that so this movie Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island is actually fucking great and I love the fact that in the movie Trick or Treat, this movie is on. In oh, that movie. Shit. Yeah. Where? Which scene? Um, I can't remember the exact scene, uh, but I think it might be when they're in the Halloween store getting the costumes. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So the, act, the actually like the third act of the film is on while while they're in there. So there's a drop in Trick or Treat in uh, the show Supernatural that I watch all the time. Yep. Uh, there's a crossover that occurs there and they allude to the fact that, you know, of course, Dean, the Dean character is uh, trying so hard to be with Daphne and she only has eyes for a Fred, Fred. Ascot wearing uh, type of individual. Yeah. And it's that slow build relationship that's rooted more in, hey, we have commonality of interest rather than just liking the way each other look kind of deal. And it's just been present in every iteration of the show and i think that he genuinely cares for her and has saved her life a zillion times even though she overplays the damsel in distress and they've done a great job of sort of undoing that in these more recent uh iterations of the show but yeah that's what i gotta go with man excellent have you seen this movie it's a great beginning um i've seen parts of it oh you want to stay here here's the thing after the show and watch it i'm the thing is, is like, I've seen it with the kids. I've seen it a little bit with your kids. It, it's just like, at this point, I'm at the age where like, I can't sit down and watch a Scooby-Doo movie. You so know? look, dude, this one takes place in, it's essentially, there's a boat driver. I know we have, I still know what you did last summer on, in the background right now. That's what we have on. Yep. There's a boat driver. Basically, that's that guy whose name is Bo, who I named my dog after. Not really, but it's the closest <laughs> tie to horror that yeah. I could find. It takes place in huge stretch. (laughs) Dude, Mondo stretch. It takes place in Louisiana. And there's this other like cute girl character who makes these homemade beignets um, in Louisiana. And I love the Louisiana, New Orleans culture. I just love that in life in general. For sure. I do as well with no knowledge of it. Like I have no first, I've never been anywhere even close to Louisiana. Didn't I bring beignets? Oh, I brought him back for Brittany. Yeah, you brought me back hot sauce, which I loved. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I love the setting and the theme and the the whole the fact that there are, 
actual monsters and they're zombies and it's just great. Yeah. I love it. And Fred's being a douche the whole time trying to rip off the zombies' heads like, no, there's a mask on your hair somewhere. Yeah. And he's like rips <laughs> off the actual head. It's just, it's, it's super well done and fun and funny. So cool. Yeah. Okay. So we'll watch it tonight. Perfect. I will fall asleep. <laughs> All right, man, you're number four. All right, number four is going to be the romantic connection between Chucky and Tiffany from Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky. Lucky. Barbie, eat your heart out. Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, exactly. Jennifer Tilly, Brad Dorf. They are the human uh, subjects here. This is just a uh, match made in heaven, right? Uh, Tiff, as he calls her. <laughs> Tiff. And, <Yeah>. yep. <clears throat> He's like, aggra- he always sounds aggravated. <laughs> exactly. Tiff and Charles Lee. Um, th- so they were a couple before he became the doll. Uh, she's been kind of seeking him out, seeking a way to, uh, get him back. And she does so. And she does it in a very fucked up way, which those, their relationship is fucked up, you know, from the beginning. Their like love of killing people, their love of murder. Um, it doesn't go away once they both become dolls, which is what eventually happens. He, as a doll, and she as an adult human, uh, they fall in love. Well, they were already in love, but yeah. they get into a big fight. <clears throat> and he essentially fries her in the bathtub, uh, th- does some more weird voodoo shit, which is all too convenient throughout this whole <laughs> series, uh, the voodoo. But uh, yeah, no. So like he brings her into a doll form. She gets all dolled up. Ooh, he ends literally. up for sure. Yeah. He ends up in, he ends up proposing in just like they, they commit this horrific yeah. murder and uh, he rips the, the ring off of a finger that's been removed from a human subject <laughs> in a very grotesque way. And he proposes and it's followed by the most beautiful, creepy, disgusting, elegant sex scene you've, you've ever seen <laughs> between two dolls. <laughs> Beautiful, creepy, <laughs> elegant, grotesque. <laughs> Nothing but juxtaposing Dude, concepts it's like, here. <laughs> what's great about it, though, is they don't 
like they don't show you two dolls having sex. You see a silhouette. Yeah. You hear the noises. Um, I think they knew better than to go too far in that. You don't go full doll sex, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah. Dude, that would have been a stop motion animation nightmare. Dude. Oh, my God. But then they have the kid, Glenn. Uh, at the end of Bride of Chucky, you find out that she's pregnant. We come to uh, Seed of Chucky Seed six of years Chucky, later. Yeah. And we have Glenn. And that <laughs> that movie takes a fucking turn. Wait, so, what year did this one come out? Um, I don't have the years in front of me. It must have been. I'm going to guess like nine. 90, they were in the 90s 92? for sure. But um, So Seed of Chucky was the last theater entry. In uh, the series. Oh, Which, no shit. The fact that they were still releasing these in theaters by C to Chucky is a testament to the series in itself, you know? Okay, so Bride of Chucky was 98. Yeah. I feel like this was my introduction to this franchise, actually. I feel like for a lot of people it was, yeah. Because I found it, this late. <clears throat> this this came out the same year Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island did, so. And Bride of Chucky is where it got... Um, you, that's where new life was breathed into the franchise. You know, it's like that's yeah. where it became a horror comedy rather than trying to be somewhat of a yeah semi-serious type of franchise and jennifer tilly was i mean she still is she's great but at that point in time like that was i think the pinnacle of her career for and sure she just was a, a very he, relevant name so i was gonna say even then the she was a household name yeah yeah, yeah. and so a cedar chucky she plays if you remember it takes these weird twists and turns uh but cedar chucky she not only is jennifer tilly playing tiff but then Jennifer Tilly is in there for real as Jennifer Tilly. It takes this weird, this meta, <laughs> meta yeah. mind blowing thing. Yeah. Yes. It's like, no, it's Cedar Chucky guys. We don't need to. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's a, they love each other. They are toxic for all of humanity uh, because they kill everything in sight. And if you remember in Cedar Chucky. So the thing is, is like, they actually do love each other and there's actual intimate scenes of like them discussing their relationship and like making jokes about, you know, like, yeah, uh, the relationship, which is great. Like, you don't, you wouldn't think you would see that between two dollars, but like, it's an actual relationship. Um, they actually love each other. There's actual fights and arguments that a normal couple would have. It's, they're just dolls. Yeah. Um, you know, they all have their. Everyone has their thing. Their thing is murder. That's what brings them together. <laughs> um, I think their differences as parents is what drove them apart. Any parent can uh, empathize and sympathize with the situation. Not everyone's going to get along. Not everyone's going to see eye to eye. Doesn't matter if you're humans or dolls. Yeah, man i I think uh, I think this is a good one. I again, this was I think my actual introduction to the franchise. Being ten, eleven years old, it's probably the first one I saw because it came out around that time and. Any anytime something dropped in the theaters at that age, we were always like scrambling to, as friends, get together and be like, "Oh, how do we get a copy of this when it comes yeah. out?" And uh, should we just mention it to our parents? Ah, no, we shouldn't. You know, they were kind of pissed about Scream, so let's not mention <laughs> Bride of Chucky, right? <laughs> right. But yeah, they they took a pretty literal approach to the theme that really was defined by the movie we we watched today in in Bride Frankenstein. And they said, look, we've got this disturbed monster that doesn't find a way to to interact with or be understood by any other. So let's give them a companion, a partner in crime. So that, that was this. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, it doesn't end that well. They end up divorced. Chucky ends up dead. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, the relationship up to that point was 
pretty good. Pretty great. And it's funny too. Like the, that's definitely social commentary. Cause I feel like the nineties is when, when oh. it became very common to be like, okay, listen, we don't have to be happy married and pretend anymore. Eighties are gone. Divorce is a thing. If you're unhappy, just say it out loud and get divorced. So yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. Well, good pick, man. Yeah, I thought so. All right, John, number four, what do you got? All right, my number four, my number four. So I'm going to go back in time a little bit here. I'm going to go with Captain Patrick Henry and Nikki Nicholson from the original version of The Thing. So The Thing from Another World Mm. from 1951. That brings alive, sir. I saw it. I shot it. I hit it. I know it. Nothing happened. It just kept coming at me, making a noise like a cat. I mean, Captain, it was awful. You could have seen those hands and those eyes. Captain, you've got to do something about it. You've got Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? Baffling questions, astounding questions that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? A being from another world as different from us as one pole from the other. We can only communicate with it. See? Nice one. Throwing it back. Yeah, so this was directed by Chris Nyby. I think Howard Hawks, so I believe he wrote the screenplay, and I think he had some interaction with the actual directorial uh, component of it. But he, so he definitely was involved in multiple ways, but Chris Nyby was the, at the helm. So this is starring Kenneth, Kenneth Toby, Margaret Sheridan. So I believe those are two main, uh, two main protagonists here that I refer to, Captain, Captain Henry and Nikki, And then James Arness played the creature, the thing. So this is pretty much, it's not the exact version of the thing that we all know from the 80s. So this is about scientists and the Air Force, essentially. Uh, all these officials that are up up north in Antarctica to fend off a bloodthirsty alien organism while they're at this Arctic outpost. The difference between this movie and the 80s version is that there's an actual physical thing. There's an actual monster uh, in the form of James Arness that they are required to fight. So, setting the scene for you, though, is you've got this rapid-fire dialogue happening in this movie. It's vintage Howard Hawks, like boom, 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 boom. It's super snappy, super witty, super chaotic, just conversation, conversation, conversation. And it's cool that there's a movie that has intellectual dialogue that's well-filmed, well-rehearsed, well-executed, well-captured. And then they also have the monster pieces too. So it's not just the standard universal monster, hey, we're going to show the hell out of this crazy, scary-looking monster, but there's... The, the dialogue and the human interaction piece of this movie is pretty compelling. So our buddy, Captain Henry, he he is so... So there's this character named Nikki who's at a neighboring outpost, essentially. Captain Henry is the captain over the outpost that they're in. They get a distress call, essentially, and they need to go to the neighboring outpost, to which he's been before. So you know he's excited to go to this outpost for some reason. He's, like, fucking over-eager about it. He can't wait to get there. And you quickly find that there is a woman, Nikki, that he has some form of a relationship with at that outpost. And he basically gets there, and he's like, hey, how can we help, blah, blah, blah. Wait, I need to run a quick errand. And then he goes straight to her, like, little office area. And they have this amazing dialogue banter. 
and they reflect on this uh, encounter that they had had prior. Basically, he says they allude to the fact that they got drunk and she left a note on him that basically said, like, ousted him or whatever, saying, like, hey, you got really handsy with me. Stay away. And all of the the dudes in the platoon read it and he, you know, he was like the laughing stock of the uh, of the Air Force. So he's got a bone to pick with her and he comes back and he's like, hey, did you really drink all those drinks? Uh, And she says, yeah. And he's like, oh, holy cat. I can't believe you did that. And there's this whole back and forth thing. And there's this romantic tension. And you can tell that they actually care about each other, which is pretty cool. And and she as a woman in the 50s, there's the sense that, you know, women are housewives and they don't have any value to contribute to the conversation other than what's for dinner. Right. So I love how they kind of turn that on its head in in this movie, and she's a critical part of the plot, and he recognizes that, and she's a critical part of solving how to basically defeat the monster, and their relationship is is great, and it there's basically a happy ending that occurs toward the end of the film, and and they get together, and it's just it's this movie is really wholesome, and it's it's fun, and it's a monster movie, but it, it's got great dialogue and character development and relationships and and they really embody that so that's what i'm going with man cool man i still have never seen that movie from front to back what so. do you mean you know me with the some of the yeah black and whites i just the the thing they say and i and i oh, i don't the thing <laughs> the thing they say constantly in this movie which i think is hilarious is they always they're expletive rather than saying like holy shit or holy fuck they always say holy cat they say it like 50 times in this movie, and I love it so much. <laughs> Could you so, imagine if, like, back in those days, if they were like, holy fuck. Instant cancel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, man. All right, so we're going on to number three. Let's get there. All right, I'm going to go with... Oh, man. This is one that uh, I will never... I will not hesitate to talk about. <clears throat> this is a movie you and I love. Actually, you know what? This spans two movies, so I'm just going to talk about the couple here. Julie okay. James and Ray Bronson from I Know and I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. So the boy and girl are making out, right? When they hear over the radio that this lunatic killer's escaped from an insane asylum. That's not the way it goes. The boy goes for help, and the girl stays in the car, and she hears this, like, scratching sound. No, he's been decapitated. No, he was gutted with a hook. Oh my god. I think he's dead. We can't just leave him here. Oh, tell me, little Miss Prelaw, what's the charge for manslaughter? We make a pact. Right here and now we take the Sar grave. For the last year, four friends have kept a secret. Are you on drugs? No. Well, then what is wrong? I've had a rough year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I love these... These uh, two, it's it's a couple made in heaven, right? It's a match made in heaven, I guess, kind of. They both grew up in this fishing town, North Carolina. Um, oh, he kind of makes a commitment to follow in his dad's footsteps and become a fisherman. Uh, Julie, on the other hand, makes a commitment to go to college. They both have this very traumatic experience in high school, very uh, right at the end of high school during the 4th of July parade. Not a big deal. Um, an experience that uh, will either bond you together for life or maybe make you hate each other for life. And for Julie, it was the latter. 
um, at first, right? And then Ray kind of wins her over with just his whole, I think, persona and his, you know, his undying devotion. He's yeah. devoted to Julie, even though she kind of writes him off and doesn't want anything to do with him because of his role in the uh, the incident, let's call it. Yeah. You know, he could have easily just been like, you know what? You don't want me? Fuck you then. Uh, but no, he goes out of his way to really, really try and like be there for her. And even when she doesn't want him, he fucking like swims out to the boat. Dude. Essentially. You know, he doesn't swim out there, but... He he follows her uh, into the middle of the ocean with a madman to and save it's her. It's almost like he's waiting on those docks for her to come back looking all pasty from college. And he does the thing where it's almost like, well, 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 you've returned. Yeah. And I've been waiting on this dock for you to walk past. You want me, huh? Yeah. And she's like, no, I don't. I have this black tank top on. My fucking hair is spiked to the sky. Mm-hmm. I will get 90s. Yeah, he was looking very 90s. Yeah. That's a great pick, It's funny, because in the 90s, like, you didn't have to have muscles to be a hunk. Dude. You know? You you had to look like Gumby to be a hunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, they do, again, This I feel like this both these films use time and physical separation as a as a good device to, to develop plot. Yeah. And they do that, I think, pretty well with, with this one, because they legitimately put them isolated on an island right? yeah what are you gonna do and he's supposed to be how there. strong is your love yeah and he doesn't he doesn't show up so she's like oh he fucking bailed on he me. must hate me but little does she know he got hooked singing uh 80s rock tunes at the top of his lungs <laughs> in his car you know yeah so he he had a bad experience and he's fighting his ass off to get to her dude again he's taking some shitty shoddy boat ride yeah and he really, he doesn't, this isn't an easy boat ride. Like, it's in the middle of, like, a hurricane. The old, crusty, curmudgeon boat driver is like, no, you're not, I'm not doing it. I'm not crossing in this. And he has his six-shooter. Who, by the way. one bullet in it. Everyone, not everyone, but I guess some people who listen may know my love for the movie Roadhouse. This, the guy that drives a boat in this is from Roadhouse. Well, there you go, bud. There's my connection to a non-horror movie. What was the first movie you picked? Tonight? Yeah. Wasn't it uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Okay, I'm just trying to find out how many boat rides have happened in the, our picks. So we're, oh, we're, yeah. we're 50%. Four films, two boat rides. Remember when Jennifer Tilly was rowing the boat to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, um, this is a great pick, though. And I'm, I, I'm glad you... You know what I hate? Like, this is very... Um, typical of the 90s i feel like is like oh you know what your boyfriend's kind of a douche like hook up with this dude and they're really trying to pawn him off on will or pawn her off on will yeah and i, I love douche. how they do that they like they wedge him into the story they yeah. literally they force him into the story and it feels like this doesn't feel right this guy's weird and even like brand so brandy's not she's she's subtly part of this but she feels natural mm-hmm. like you're like okay she would be friends with julie whereas will in your brain you're like no no no. this who is this fucking dweeb yeah this who is this guy face from the game guess who is what he looks like it's yeah. like this every man right yeah you yeah. know what's funny is i was reading the i don't know if it was the imdb or what synopsis real quick and it said like to describe will it was like 
they're on vacation with so and so, so and so attractive man will. Like that's how they've uh, described him. Attractive like man. Stale white bread <laughs> will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get a haircut, Will. Yeah. But yeah, that's my number three. And I would say that their love prevails and is part of why they Oh my gosh, they get married. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a very great, um, it's a successful love story. And again, sure. you got to work for it. You have to work oh, for it. Oh, he had to work for it. Yeah. She made him work. For sure. Okay. I dig that. I like that pick a whole lot. Work, boy, work. I'm all in. Ooh, and this scene is great too. I know we're not live streaming here, but... Maybe we are watching, I still know. So yeah. yeah, it's perfect. And if you're not watching it, put it on. Grab yeah. a beer. Yeah. Join us. All right. So my number three, right? There we go. Okay. I'm I'm going to back to TV. I have to. I've got quite a bit of TV actually. Cool. So I'm going with a television show that did not broadcast live on tv however it was released <laughs> okay on i was gonna ask is netflix it television or streaming? step by step no uh it was <laughs> streaming cody <laughs> debuted july 15th of 2016 a little <clears throat> show called stranger things and my love interest and relationship is between mike and 11 something is coming something hungry for blood what is it the Demogorgon! We're deep shit! <laughs> we have to go! Later. See you tomorrow. Good night, ladies. Kiss your mom night for me. I almost uh, put this on my list because of the end of season two. Dude. It's tear-inducing. So, directed... I'm thinking about it. Directed by Matt and Ross Duffer, starring Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven, Finn Wolfhard... Winona Ryder, so many great, so oh, many great man. characters in the show. But the general premise of this is about season one, at least, is a young boy disappears, and his mother and a police chief and his friends must confront terrifying supernatural forces in order to get him back. And they make some friends along the way in the form of Eleven. And this truly, truly is. So I obviously this coming out in 2016. I had had children by this point in my life. And do you remember we, it was my bachelor party weekend. So it was just me, okay. you, and a couple of friends. We rented a town and country, drove down to Virginia. Oh, yeah. We went and saw counterparts in Every Time I Die play. Yep. Keith Buckley gave me a shout out for my bachelor party, which yes. was amazing. We went to a couple breweries. We drove home. And when we got home, I remember we were all sitting in my living room and the screen popped up. It was July. Yeah, we had like a barbecue and yeah. we were drinking all the beer that we collected from Richmond. Yeah. I remember we came back and uh, my wife was like. 37 growlers later. She was like, <laughs> I mean, you're all together. Why not just do one more night of this? Mm-hmm. So literally everyone was planning on going home and then we just had another night at my place. Yeah. But we were all sitting there. Uh, we just had that exhaustive drive. We, we got back, um, dropped off the town and country, got our cars, came back to my house and I flipped on the TV, and the first thing that Netflix populated was this amazing macabre photo of a red bike with a wheel, essentially. Mist, darkness, intrigue, confusion. All of us were like, what the fuck is Stranger Things, right? Yeah. So we started watching, and we could not look away. And this, this, this whole experience truly, truly 
is the definition of the idea of love at first sight. And, and Mike does everything, including combating his closest friends and, and challenging their, their, their position on what's right. And he, he does everything in the interest of protecting Eleven and advocating for her and being there for her. And similarly, Eleven coming in from whatever world she has, has come from finds this form of gravity in the form of Mike and Mike shows her the ropes and he cares about her and he, he teaches her and he shows compassion. He, he demonstrates emotion and that is what she learned from, you know, it was that it was the vulnerability that he exposed and he, he cares so, so much for her. But Jamie, I have written right here, literally on this piece of paper. Yep. I cry so fucking much at the end of season two, every single time I have it written right here. What's funny is when we, I remember when, uh, we didn't watch it together, but at the end of season two, I had watched it. And then you had said to like, you know, my wife and I, something about how you cried at the end of season two. And, uh, I did not have that sentiment the first time I watched it. And then the second time I watched it, it like creeped up on me there at the end. She comes in. I found myself like not actually tearing up, but you know, that feeling when your eyes start to like, well, I felt that feeling and I was like, God damn, John. Yeah, I'll do it. Fuck. And then it literally every time I watch it, it's like, it's just one of those things where now like my body is like ready for it, you know, like it prepares uh, because yeah. that, that scene is so powerful to me. Like he's just so sad and dejected. Uh, you know, I want to have fun with my friends, but I can't because I'm. Missing my, my love, hurts. yeah. Which literally everybody has that feeling at some point, you know. And like, I love, I love how honestly and accurately the depiction of the whole sequence, not only of 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 trying through friendships and disagreeing with friends and growing with friends and and being with friends and not being with friends, how that plays out through all of these seasons. They do it so masterfully, yeah. And the the kids they hired to do these roles are just so talented and they nail it and it's it's well written and it's well acted. And the relationship too, I just, I mean, who, who does not that grew up in our era have a memory of being at a dance and feeling dejection for one reason or another? Maybe it's, I got in a fight with my parents before I left, or I asked someone to dance. They didn't hear me over fucking Savage Garden playing in the background, whatever it might've been. Casey and Jojo. Exactly, dude. Like you just, it's so relatable, which is why I, I, I'm the biggest cheerleader as I watch this movie. Or as I watch the show in my mind, my priority is not save the world. It's like save this relationship. That's how yep. I feel sometimes when I'm watching it. And and they really manipulate that. And they manipulate you as a viewer with the third season as they, as they start to introduce, um, you know, concepts of getting older. And How and do you like their relationship in the third season? It, I think it's totally accurate. And it that's is. like what happens. You know, though, I I found myself like I'm I'm good with it now. I'm. Like I've watched it too many times to yeah. be perturbed by it. But, but as it was I, the first time I watched yeah. it, I hated because this is also true to real life. You always have like, <clears throat> especially when you're young and you're in a relationship, there's always like that one friend of your girlfriend or whatever. That's like kind of like not helping <laughs> your situation. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, um, Max, Mad Max is that, you know, influence in their yeah. relationship, like telling her like, because you know, what's funny is you have on the guy side, you have Lucas trying to help Mike 
win her back and woo her. Whereas on her side, she has Mad Max saying like, fuck him, fuck guys, let's go have fun, you and I. And it's just a total different, uh, it's just different. It's a different reaction to both sides. And um, it's interesting. Yeah, I I love the way it plays out. And I think it's, again, it's honest and very reflective of reality. Yeah, and I'm glad you picked this because I obviously wanted to mention it as well. And I thought, like, fuck, I talk about Stranger Things every episode, so. Yeah, yeah, I had to to do it, man. Perfect. Love it. All right, so that's my number three. So we're going to your number two. All right, so my number two is going to be from 1986. Uh the little movie called the fly and it's going to be Seth Brundle and Veronica Quaife, also known as Ronnie. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry. I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth, when you went through. Talk about complicated relationships. It's very complicated. Also a very, like, um, kind of very sudden, uh, Mutual attraction that's pretty, like, intense, right? It's, like, a pretty intense... I would say it starts as a sexual relationship, uh, but they clearly have a mutual interest, a a mutual intelligence uh, between the two that um, attracts one to the other. I agree, and it's not like they met at a bar, right? They met at an event, which was, like, okay, there are some fucking brain cells in this event. Mm -hmm. So there's some serious validity, and I think he captured her instantly by his like witty uh intelligence and the way he approached conversation yeah it's that like under the radar it's like what every woman wants right it's not overly confident but it's uh confident in your ability your unique ability whatever it may be um and also a confident confidence in yourself whatever it may be you know so he's kind of a nerd kind of a uh loner type of dude but he's confident in that you know and he's he's got a, a a motive or an end game that he's looking towards. And I think for her, that's attractive to see somebody who's so uh, intensely focused on their objective. And that's what he is. Yeah, dude. I mean, he's got his Moby Dick, like his white whale is in front of him. And for it, sure. And it's for no other reason than science. And it's achievement. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. not like I want to be famous <clears throat> from this. It's like, I actually want to solve this. Yeah. yeah. I want to solve tele teleportation. Yeah. Um, so as if you, if you've seen The Fly, if you haven't, please, please go watch it. Uh, but if you have not, it's so essentially this about this. Cronenberg film. Cronenberg, yep. And uh, this is as Cronenbergian as they get. Yep. Uh, body horror to the max. <sighs> and if you haven't seen it, it's about a scientist that's essentially trying to um, accomplish teleportation. He has these two little weird pods in his apartment, uh, which is essentially a warehouse. And he's trying to teleport from one pod to the other. He does succeed. What he didn't know is a fly got in the one pod, uh, so he starts becoming a fly. Uh, The DNA is injected into him, and it starts off kind of like he's just really intense, right? Like they, she comes over, they just have really intense like uh, interactions together, (laughs) together, and uh, it it really goes downhill fast. He starts growing fly body hair and. she wakes up the one morning and he's just like doing these intense stretches. 
Oh, like, fly like, yoga. It's the like newest a, trend. Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it all goes downhill. Like when he, when she comes over the one time and he does the regurgitation. Oh, oh, this Jesus movie Christ. is actually, it's, it's gross. disgusting. Yeah. Like don't try to eat while watching it. Uh, Especially but, like oatmeal. But you can tell through the whole thing, like she still has that strong, like it's love at that point, you know, like she still loves him. She, she feels for him, even as he's turning into this fucking grotesque creature, yeah. Um, she becomes impregnated before we think it's before he became a fly. And the problem is you don't know. So at that point, she does not really want this baby inside of her. She starts having dreams about having giving birth to this mutant baby fly thing. Yeah, dude. And they confront the, <sighs> uh, the issue of, of abortion, uh, which yep. back in those days, I was pretty taboo. Yeah. I mean, and it's contentious even today. And exactly. Depending on, you know, they're a, uh, couple different camps on that specific subject matter and this was a time where one camp was a lot thinner than it is now so yeah uh yeah they, this they tackle that head on and it's it's super interesting the way they they approach it and i think too the the counterweight of having her her boyfriend just being again that wedge that like shit bag right that shit bag bearded successful he's the person oh, that the x yeah he wants he wants success not to to solve one of the world's problems he wants it to make money and for the material like he's the the quintessence of like uh, and then he ends up becoming like almost a form of comfort for her later in the story yeah. which is interesting like the, the way they manipulate that but uh, yeah, he's exploitative for sure yeah no 100 percent. yeah oh you have natural resources let me mine those is yep. basically his fucking but uh, her love gassed on uh, to the max. Yes. And her love prevails even to the end. You know, like you can tell, like, first of all, the acting in this is goddamn incredible. Gina Davis was, Oh, she does such a killer job because that ending, uh, that's a truly sad moment. You know, you kind of have to put someone you love out of their misery and the con the internal conflict that she has to feel not only in that very end where she, um, does what she does. I don't want to spoil anything, I guess, but just even leading up to that, you know, like the ex goes, she has to deal with that. Um, but even then she's still, you can tell she still has those emotions for Brundlefly. Uh, so it's not, it's crazy. It's not far off from, um, American werewolf. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that where you're watching someone you love turning into something that you don't love. And you know, there's, allegories for that you can yeah. go but yeah i think it's a great relationship though and if he had not become brundlefly i'm pretty confident that they would have been married yeah and uh had little baby flies <laughs> old brundle bundle yeah man <laughs> but yeah i love i love those two and when we talked about this topic that was one of the first couples that came up because oh for sure you know like he's off he's very he's a very weird dude and she's clearly a very uh, attractive woman to a lot of men and she could probably have her choice of yeah. men at that point. She's and smart she as chooses, hell. And yeah, yeah. And she chooses to be with this kind of fucking weirdo guy, you know, and uh, <laughs> at the surface, he's a weirdo, but when you get to know him and you have these takeout dinners with him, because you're in there as well, you know, you, you come to know him and you get to see like the endearing qualities that she sees. So yeah, yeah I love that relationship. Yeah. That's a great pick, man. I'm all in on that. All in. Okay. All right. So we're you're what number three? 
Uh, number two. <clears throat> oh, number, we're at number two already. Gotcha. Yeah, I yep. know, man. I feel like we should have picked 20. Flying each. by. Fly, flying flying. By. All right. I hate to say it, but I'm doing another TV show. <laughs> Here we go. Another one. Yeah. It's my last TV show, though. My number one is not a TV show. So my number two, though. So this is something I had, like I had, had, had to do. I know I've talked about this show a couple times uh, per hour, per day, <laughs> per second, per person. But I'm going with Fox Mulder and Dana Scully from yes. The X-Files. Great one. So the X-Files debuted on September 10th, 1993, created by Chris Carter, starring our buddy David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson, Mitch Pileggi, who could rip a pair of fucking round glasses off his face and put them on with the most <laughs> ferocity and accuracy uh, that you could ever imagine. But two FBI agents, Fox Mulder, who's the believer, and Dana Scully, who's a skeptic, investigate the strange and unexplained while hidden forces work to impede their efforts. Yes. So, dude, this defines will they or won't they. Literally, like, this is, like, the, this is the template for that relationship. And Fox Mulder is so compassionate and caring and emotional, and Dana is so analytical, and it's, it's legitimately right right brain, right brain, left brain, uh, duo team. And they always find a way to meet in the middle and compromise. And it's, it's the definition of what a, a healthy relationship looks like, right? Yeah. There's disagreement. Yeah. It, dude, it's, it's, it's that to the umpteenth degree. So the entirety of this series, there are always little snide comments about, Oh, Oh, you're going on a date tonight. Like trying to basically, yeah, not like, oh, hey, uh, we got this caseload to look at kind of deal, right? <laughs> right? And there's always that subtle, it's always so subtle. Oh, you're watching porn again? Yeah. And Mulder watches <laughs> porn and yeah. she always rags on him. About it. He'll turn the volume down if they're on the phone. But uh, being the X-Files nerd I am, I actually took a couple notes on specific episodes where there's perfect specific tension. So one for sure is the episode Arcadia where they live in the suburbs where they're like that they yes. basically move in to investigate something so they're this this fake couple that lives together in a suburban household so you suspend It's always re- sunny in Philadelphia. It's it's exactly like that. <laughs> it's exact dude, it is exactly like that. The gang moves into the suburbs 100%. <laughs> it's 100% that. Yeah. So I th- I think uh that's the moment where they say, okay, look, we're going to press pause on reality for a moment. And if, if they were to actually be married and live in the suburbs, this is what it would look like. So yeah. they, they physically demonstrate like that. that. Yeah. In that episode's great too. It's, it's a monster of the week style episode. It's so good. What season is that one? That's, I want to say four or five. Okay. I don't have episode numbers. Yeah. I just have episodes picked. 
And then that one, the one uh, episode called, I think it's called The Unnatural, which is a play on the naturals uh, that were, because Mulder's a huge baseball guy. And he always talks about baseball or the Knicks. Like he always talks about basketball. And I love that movie, The Natural. But he's like helping her swing a baseball bat. And there's that like, it's basically like, oh, let me show you how to swing a yeah, golf, golf club. club while I grind into the yes. backside of your body with no, the front move side your of mine. Hips <laughs> yeah. This way. So there's that moment, which is so, it's just, I hate to say it this way, but it's just fucking cute. And I just want to be there and talk to them and cheer them on and tell yeah. them to love each other. Yeah. And then they have their first kiss prior to Y2K. And I think the episode's called Millennium, if I'm not mistaken. It's kind of an awkward moment, actually, but. They're, they're, you know, that, that it had to be, that's the, that's the way they do that. Anytime there's close intimacy, it's, it's made to be awkward. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then uh, the last note I took here is in the episode, I think it's called postmodern Prometheus. It's black and white, but there's this dance scene oh, between yeah. the two of them. I just Dude, watched that one. Oh, it's so good. That yeah. dance scene. And I love the chemistry that they have as, as humans, like acting aside i think as people they they have that legitimate chemistry because they both came up they became huge from something they didn't expect it was going to take off the way that it did it launched their careers and i was reading that they actually lived together for a little bit when in real life when she was leaving her husband mm. and separating so i just i hope in real life they talk to each other i would love to just look through their text thread and i hope it would be about <laughs> fucking you know <laughs> monster cases that weren't real yeah. but yeah check with zuckerberg he may have some on file <laughs> hey uh mark uh just checking the dana fox uh correspondence chain if they I have any uh, dms i could uh <laughs> dip into yeah but i i got it i i have to do that uh i would be remiss not to mention one of my favorite shows oh, of absolutely yeah. all time and they have this you know it's an ongoing chemistry that is just always there and you're always you know and uh, if you are an avid viewer of the show especially back in the day if you were watching it live you were always like kind of there was an underlying hope that they would get together uh, but at the same time you don't want them to get together right because nothing really good can come from that in a series that long Dude, it's like ron and hermione it's like oh sh is this gonna fuck up the friendship yeah like, and if they are a couple it's like the whole dynamic changes i don't really want yeah. to you know when they go on a road trip to check out the latest monster that's running through a forest in fucking northern oregon you don't want to hear them talking about like why didn't you do the dishes last night you know yeah, what i mean you yeah. don't want that to be a topic of conversation so yeah they had to keep them always at like a very safe distance yeah and they did it so successfully and in the moments where they allowed it to sync up for just a like just a breath uh, a lot of the ones i just mentioned it's just so something always interrupts it right yeah dude always or it's disjointed oh my god did you see that snake with like a frog's head <laughs> or or it feels awkward but i love that honesty because that's how real life is it's yeah. not like fever pitch is not real life right and yeah obviously X summer catch it doesn't yeah. always work that way it doesn't you're not gonna get signed to a baseball team and get jessica beale it's not gonna work no brady that's, prins that's why i love this this uh this dynamic so much because they take the most unrealistic premise of a fucking fluke monster running, <laughs> running through New Jersey and, and they make it feel like the most real thing on earth because they have this wonderful duo of, of people that are able to kind of bring you the story. Yep. 
Great couple. Good one. Yeah. Thanks, man. All right, so we're on to number one. Oh, God. How did we get here so fast? All right, so I... <clears throat> we both clearly tried to avoid movies that we've talked about too much. Mm-hmm. But this was a duo that um, I just couldn't resist. And uh, we're going to go there. It is... One of my favorite couples of all time, and they had to be my number one. They had to be on the list. I don't care how much we've talked about this movie and how much we've talked about Tom Atkins. It is Dr. Daniel Chalice and Ellie Grimbridge from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. You don't really know much about Halloween. Halloween. The barriers will be down between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red. You happen to know anything about this Cochran? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Season He's watching you, friend, I guarantee you that. Drink or treat, drink or treat. Hey, Mr. Cochran, just what is the final process? Fellas, I was just kidding. Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. Hey! Maybe I should get a second room. It's better. Or sleep in the car. It's better than this floor anyway. Feel well, bad for me. Want, Let me get in your bed. <laughs> where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? That's oh, a man. stupid fucking question, Ellie. <laughs> he really does, like, go straight at it. <laughs> Followed by just the, the best butt cheeks you'll see in cinema. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, dude, this is a fucking couple that, you know, is very weird, very off the, uh, maybe off the path a little bit. Um, uh, you know, he's got <clears throat> kids and an ex-wife that's very naggy, it, um, <laughs> but <laughs> she's very young. She doesn't want him to drink while he's doctoring and gets pissed when he leaves town with a young chick. Yeah. Yeah, what a naggy wife. What a <laughs> naggy ex-wife. But yeah, no, I mean, him and Ellie, not not only um, are they just this killer crime-fighting duo, but, you know, they, they solve an actual mystery. I mean, they, 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 not only do they solve it, they end it. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they fucking take out the, it really ends tragically, but they, they take out the uh, fucking enemy, man. They, they do it. Yeah. And they did it in a very, uh, they did it in a very good, like they had this great like detective scheme going down. Like let's, let's just act like we're married. Um, let's have sex like a married couple right? in this hotel room. Let's really sell it. Uh, and that's what they do. And that's what they did. They fucking cracked this really weird scheme that involves Stonehenge. Um, yeah, they nice. almost both make it, man. But this this is a movie that I just love so much. It's ingrained in my body and my spirit, Halloween 3. And um, I think you feel the same way, right? Yeah, dude, their relationship is so exciting because he's sitting there post-traumatic event, right? Ellie approaches him while he's sitting at the bar. And he clearly observes this beautiful woman. And she is talking about her father. And he was involved in the whole process of understanding how he died and whatnot. And then he kind of is resistant to, to getting involved in the situation. And then it, it starts to ramp up and he's like, all right, I'm at this point, like I'm fucking in, I'm going to help. But there's something so exciting about taking 
basically a mundane life that everyone's living. Uh, this very complicated, wild, ridiculous thing happens. And then they go on this adventure, right? So it's yes. like, we've got this mundane life and this adventure is happening. And they really embody the whole like, okay, we're going to pretend. We're going to suspend reality. We're going to be be this couple. And he's he grabs his six-pack of... <laughs> Miller High Life yes. calls home, says, I won't be able to watch the kids this weekend like I promised. Got a quote-unquote conference to go to. Uh, but you're you're rooting for them hard, much like you described, Jamie, with, with Mulder and Scully. Part of like what you don't want to happen in X-Files is what you, you do want to happen here. Because in X-Files, like week after week, you're like, you are conditioned to understand, oh man, they're going to find themselves in precarious situations and how is them being in love going to affect how this uh, this is going to unfold and how it's going to resolve? Yes. Like, that happens here so dramatically. Like, they, they care, they start to care more about each other than they do almost solving the task. And you're like, oh, is that going to disrupt this? But they they really both commit to solving the task, which is why it doesn't end well for one of them. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, dude, this is a great one. And I love this movie so, so much. Yeah, I actually really like watching their relationship unfold. You know, it becomes <clears throat> just this kind of like fling to like, maybe this isn't just a fling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I actually care for you and I'm willing to risk my life to save you. Yeah. It's all It actually makes the ending really tragic. Yeah. I'm getting sad thinking about it, yeah. actually. Sucks. But yeah, that's my number Oof. one. All right. Good number one. Shouldn't Dr. surprise Charles. anybody that it's yeah. my boy, Tom Atkins. Because I almost, I really wanted to put the fog on there as well. Because I love the relationship with him and Jamie Lee Curtis. When they're flipping through the They become strangers, you know, um, that also become a crime fighting team. So. Yeah. Not far off from Fred and Daphne. No. All right. Who's under that mask? (laughs) All right. I'm going to my number one. You ready? I am ready. Let's hear it. I don't think we are one to tell anyone who they should love, James. No. We're not. And if a man wants to love a car, he should have the ability to do so. Oh. I'm going with Arnie and Christine from 1983's Christine. Sonny, you ever owned a car before? No. I just got my license. Start her up. Her name's Christine. I like that. Yes. Love it, man. That's a good one. So this is directed by John Carpenter, starring Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, Alexandra Paul. And this is about a nerdish young boy who buys a car with an evil mind of its own. And his his nature kind of starts to change to reflect the nature of the car. So I just read this book over the fall. Um, by read, I listened to it on audiobook. Yes. As I was doing the leaves every day for three hours, right? Got a lot of trees in my yard. So I was all in on listening to... I love this movie. I love this story. It, the book actually takes place in Pittsburgh, which is right near us, which is super cool. Yeah. And... It just made me love the the story even more. So 
I can I consume the film though at like the perfect age. Again, uh, I was probably a teenager when I saw it for the first time, but uh, they're teenagers in this movie, so there's a lot of relatability to a lot of the themes that we kind of discussed of of finding something or someone that's your first love and basically having your friends be mad at you about it. And I can I remember my first girlfriend that pulled me away from the standard weekend right of hey we play resident evil on the weekends and drink dr pepper and eat doritos and i was like ah yeah you know what guys i'm not gonna make it saturday because uh we're heading to the drive-in or we're we're going to chili's like yeah. i just got my paycheck <laughs> exactly i'm wherever. taking her to the outback <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and you're in high school and that happens and the friend group starts to like talk a little shit and they're yep. like hey what's going on here with arnie or what's going on with jamie he's been hanging out with this chick so much you're like exactly uh, john's going to fucking chili's again like what's going on so consuming this this movie at texting that, you photos of their steak <laughs> uh bird's eye view of the <laughs> butter melting blue and onion yeah yeah but but taking this movie in at that age was great because it was super relatable and it really does show the the coming of age tale that was really Arnie's first love. So, and it's it's cool how they juxtapose an actual physical first love with with a person because the Lee Cabot character, yep. she's such a great character. It's very well acted, and she's incredibly likable. Yeah, yeah, dude, just all, all around so good. It's one of those characters where like every guy in the school wants her. Yeah, and it's this this nerd who's been transformed. This yes. kid who's getting bullied and. And and his arc is so ra- like so rampant, dude. It's like the stock market. It's like fucking chugging up, beers while down, driving. Spike. Oh, dude, it's crazy. Have another one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's super cool to see how they they play that out. And the the character arc in the in the book is even more wild. Uh, so I really enjoyed checking that out this year too. But this is you know this is truly his first love, and and he takes it to literally takes it to the grave and it there elements of social emotional commentary it's incredibly relevant for for kids experiencing any kind of relationship development at this age and i thought this was just a a good one to to touch on yeah no this is a great one man and i love the um i love the pick yeah man i feel i feel like i still feel love but i'm a little upset that the episode's over yeah, it's like uh, you're at the snowball in Walks 11. What song is playing? Do you remember when 11 walks in? Time after time. Is that what it is? Cindy Lauper? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you have a tissue? Yeah. So Jamie and I are going to go watch that and cry on each other. But again, please <laughs> check out our social media channels. We've got updates on all the cool stuff we're working on. We have a couple fantastic guests queued up for the very near future. Great episode topics. Oh, yeah. We are not going anywhere. Uh, we're going to continue to produce content, and we just appreciate all of you listening. We love you guys so much. Yeah, and if you have episode ideas, topic ideas, throw them our way because uh, we're always looking for ideas. We have a huge long list of topic ideas, but if you have something clever, something cool, something you want to hear, let us know. All right. Thanks, guys.